City Club Youth Forums are sponsored by AT&T, the Shar and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation, and the William M. Weiss Foundation. We're grateful for their generous support. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Allie Dettelbach, a senior at Hawkins School and Vice President of the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council. I'm pleased to introduce today's forum, a conversation on the future of admissions testing in education. After schools were shut down just over a year ago due to COVID-19, a vast majority of colleges and universities made the submission of tests like the SAT and ACT optional. With standardized testing under more scrutiny than ever before, educators, parents, and students are taking a deeper look at the organization and the history and legacy of testing in the U.S., including the fact that studies have found that testing puts our nation's most vulnerable children at a socioeconomic disadvantage. Proponents of testing argue it provides a, an unbiased measurement that can level the playing field. With scrutiny, confusion, and change converging around the testing world, it becomes imperative for us to examine what the future of testing will and should look like. Our panelists today to discuss this include Ms. Renee Bischoff, Director of College Counseling at Hawkins School, Ms. Sienna Zeilinger, College and Career Access Advisor at College Now Greater Cleveland, and Ms. Kelly Ball, Director of Recruitment and Strategic Initiatives enrollment at Enrollment Management of Case Western Reserve University, as well as one of our own, Kennedy Smith, a member of the City Club of Cleveland's Youth Forum Council. Here to guide our discussion is Youth Forum Council member Praveen Kumar, a junior at Hawkins School. Praveen, I turn the forum over to you. All right, thank you, Allie. And to sort of start off our discussion, I would like to ask you all, given that standardized tests usually provide a sort of common denominator between applicants, how exactly are colleges crafting a fair and equitable uh, sort of process for admitting new applicants? I'll, I'll jump in and, and get us started. Um, so I, I'll start by saying I'm much more of a practitioner and not necessarily the expert in the field uh, in terms of the creation and all of that. But in, in terms of the practitioner side of college admission, it's not necessarily something that we're just starting. Um, we're, we've always been in a business of looking at everyone's full application. And when we do in college admission, typically we're looking at, you know, a student's full record the essay that they provide, the letters of recommendation that come in, the courses that they're taking in high school, how well they're doing in those courses. Um, so it's not always that we've operated in a world where the test has the priority. It's really that full review of a full academic record. And sort of as a follow-up to that, uh, Ms. Bischoff, how have your students' attitudes towards these tests changed over the past year? Well, that is a really complicated question because I think at, at high school juniors um, view this as a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. um, and in the spring of their junior year, sometimes it's a little earlier, sometimes it's into the senior year, but this is this is a big business. Um, and, and you should know that ACT and SAT, they are businesses. They're nonprofits, but they, they do make money. Um, so this is a big part of that standard, you know, part of life. And when COVID hit, it was a huge challenge for kids because nobody really knew what was going to happen. Um, and some schools immediately went to being test optional and others waited for a while before they before they were able to change their policies. Um, and some of that depended. Um, bigger state institutions had boards of regents they had to manage. And so there was a lot of confusion. I have one student at Hawken who tried eight times to take the test because they felt like it was something they were supposed to do. Um, I had a couple of other kids who said, yeah, forget it, I'm not doing it. Like they didn't wanna do it, they didn't feel they were prepared and they sort of saw this as a way to step back. But I would say for the most part, students took the test and then worried a lot about it because a number of kids didn't have the same opportunity to retest as they once would. So I, I, think, I don't think anybody actually felt great about it. Um, and I think the challenge really has come in this round of admission decisions and how the testing was used. And so I'm sure you'll get to that eventually, but my guess is um, Sienna's students probably felt similar to this like feeling they had to do this and work really hard to try to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Well, and too, I think that's something to add on to the, how complicated the conversation is, is that even though some colleges were moving to be test optional, certain colleges were not, certain colleges aren't going to be um, and selective majors, programs within those colleges might still require scores. Somewhere that I think those of us who are advisors at college now really see the impact is with scholarships. 
there's mm-hmm. still scholarship programs uh, both within the colleges and outside of them that do require a strong test score. And so I think when students were first hearing that folks were going test optional, um, the further implications of that, like you said, weren't fully explored right away. Yeah, and I can speak to that a little as well since my attitude, my attitude towards testing really did change. Um, you know, things went test optional when I was a junior and trying to um, actually take the tests. And so, um, like people are saying, there was a lot of fear and anxiety around it. Like, should I even take the tests? Well, I know some people aren't test optional yet, um, especially some schools I was really interested in hadn't said anything and so had a lot of anxiety about not being able to take it, if I'd even be able to get into the school without having my test. And then um, like what was just said with scholarships in particular, as a low-income student, scholarships are like kind of life or death for me to actually be able to get into colleges. And so at the end of the day, I knew I needed to take the test and do well, but like my SAT was canceled like four times. My ACT was canceled three times. And I think in Ohio, we're lucky because it's smaller and there were actually more options to take the test. Like I was able to take the test um, two times the ACT, but I think that was really just because of us being lucky in our um, you know, geographical region because like there were people flying out from other states just to come here to take their tests. So. And the one last thing I wanna to add to this is, is the, there was anxiety with taking the test with a mask on. And, and I don't want to diminish that. I think I think there, I've had conversations with colleges who sometimes don't quite understand why a student might not have tested. And I'll remind them, you know, have you sat for three and a half hours wearing a mask, taking a high stakes test, sweating and in a room um, because our, our school doesn't offer tests. So our students have had to go far and wide to find them um, in an uncomfortable place where you don't know what they're doing in terms of protocols. I think that's a piece that colleges really didn't understand this year is, what did it actually mean physically to have to take that test? Um, and I think that's 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 a topic that you know it's going to go away because COVID. We're going to have vaccinations, but I think that is something that people really needed to s- take a step back and think about with these kids. Yeah. In, oh, I'm sorry. Just a quick addition to that. I definitely had that type of anxiety, like wearing the mask the whole time. It was hard to breathe. And in addition, like as a black student, like going through a lot of the things that was happening with Black Lives Matter at the same time as I was trying to study for the test, it was just a lot going on there with testing anxiety. And sort of as a jumping point off of that, Ms. Seilinger, uh, do you think that your students have felt more or less pressure to take these tests? And do you actually think a permanent like test optional policy will actually help your students in the long run? It's a great question. It's a complicated question. I think that to get at your first piece about whether they felt more pressure to take it, I, in my experience, and can't speak for other advisors, but I think my students felt less pressure to take it the way that it was first communicated from colleges, that uh, this test optional policy meant that if you, for health reasons, um, couldn't make it to a test, then you could still have a shot at admission, I think was a comfort to students. I think like Kennedy mentioned, when it comes time to see about the finances, the pressure then turned on double um, when students have been realizing that without that test, um, it can really still hinder them, even though we're talking about a test optional environment. So I think that the pressure has varied over the course of the year. Um, In terms of whether I think a test optional policy overall helps students, um, we've alluded to holistic application review, and I think in general, any policy that lets a student put their best foot forward is the one that lets my students shine. So I'm optimistic about the ways that without um, the writing section being required anymore or without some of those subject tests that perhaps my students who are strong writers but not strong test takers or who have taken a rigorous course load within their high school, that maybe those strengths will shine further than they might have earlier. But overall, I still, as long as there will be tests, I'm still going to encourage my students to take them just so that they have access to all opportunities. And as another follow-up, Ms. Ball, so considering that the 2020 AP tests and even this year have been moved online, 
would you say that colleges are seeing them as more legitimate or less legitimate, or are they viewing these tests in any different light under the new COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I think to the question about AP tests, I think colleges are still gonna look at them with the same weight. Students are preparing for them. Um, they're taking them. I think there are a lot of questions that are still yet to be answered by the companies that are putting out all the various tests, particularly in relation to this question with the AP. So I imagine that um, your question will continue to evolve. The response to your question actually will continue to evolve. But where I sit right now in the conversations that I've been listening to or been a part of um, in the college application side is that there's still weight on them. You know, we do when we're looking at a student's high school record, for example, um, the challenging courses that you're taking, if you do have the option or the ability to take an AP level class, then having that test with it um, is something of value to see the rigor of the coursework that you as a student can succeed in. And um, in comparing that to being a student at an institution and how then can you take on that course load? Because ultimately what we're looking for is that you're gonna be able to be successful at the institution you go to. And we look at um, what we know historically um, and what we know about students who come to the institution. So historically being what you, what you have the ability to take AP test scores and how well a student comes in with those scores, how they succeed in the courses that they have here. Because ultimately, again, we want you to be successful when that comes into place. So I think I would reflect on where we sit today with those being online and say that, you know, generally, I think universities are still going to value those scores um, online or not. So following that up, uh, Ms. Bischoff, do you think that this current test optional policy we are seeing across the country and the world has sort of heightened the importance of things like extracurricular activities and recommendation letters uh, for prospective students? Um, certainly, this the, the lack of testing this year has, has placed more emphasis on other pieces of the application. Um, Praveen, I don't know if you saw the front page of the Wall Street Journal yesterday, but it was another one of those, you know, fear-inducing articles about the college admission process. Um, but part of it actually talked a little bit about how highly selective schools have taken on holistic review. And in addition to the testing being a challenge this year, extracurriculars have also been a challenge. So we, the colleges can't evaluate those extracurriculars maybe in the same ways that they have in the past. So I think what they're really looking at, obviously, is strength of curriculum, has the student done what they need to do to challenge themselves? And then even beyond that, where is the intellectual connection with that school um, or in the field the student wants to study? Um, I think the, the field has really been leveled, like people can't do the same sorts of out of school activities. So they're really trying to figure out what does the student want to do? What will the student bring to this campus? Mm -hmm. um, most of the things students have to do now are really self-generated instead of being organized outside activities. So, and interestingly, the journal mentions um, college folks saying that has taken a lot of time to figure out in this process, which is why a lot of the decision dates, um, release dates are actually later than they have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And sort of as a follow-up to Kennedy, do you, uh, in response to that, do you think that you and your peers have adapted uh, to these test optional policies uh, by compensating, uh, by doing more extracurriculars or trying to uh, do more stuff outside of these tests? I would say yes. I think that for me in particular, and just a lot of students who you know I identify as high achieving, High school kind of feels like a really long rush to resume stack in the sense where you're trying to do a lot of different things that identify with what you're interested in, in a way for yes, because you enjoy it, but also because you know it's going to look good for colleges or scholarships that you're applying for. And so I think for me in particular, when I saw that colleges were test optional, I really kind of just ended up pushing on more extracurriculars. Like that summer when I had, um, you know, realized a lot of my tests were canceled, I also made sure I was in like eight different like programs over the summer doing like different initiatives and doing some like online academic things just so I can make sure I can kind of tell 
college is like, okay, this is what I'm really interested in. And I was able to actually um, put in my extra time to find some ways to get around the COVID problem. And so I think that not having tests definitely put a lot more stress on having more extracurriculars and things to make you stand out. But I also think that it allowed us to spend more time pursuing what we want to do in ways that were more innovative rather than just focusing on, you know, being a textbook and doing well on these different tests. I do think that's something I saw with my students and you're making me think about this in, in a cool and complicated way, Kennedy, is that I think a lot of my students who are concerned about the cost of college, um, their concerns were magnified this year during COVID, more so just as concern for their family. And so I think the, the question of resume stacking for a lot of my students became, do I look good for colleges or do I help out my family? And I think that speaks to a greater need for those of us who are working with students to emphasize that if you are working and it's not a club, but it's a job, that's absolutely legitimate and worth putting on your common app. If you're taking care of younger siblings, that's absolutely worth highlighting and talking about. It shows you're responsible and it shows you're committed. And so my hope from this year, throwing a wrench in the plan is that we're able to better advocate for our students and help them highlight their own strengths as they've met this challenge. But I think that going into the challenge, not a lot of students knew that the ways that they'd be able to be resilient this year themselves look good to colleges too. And I'll jump into, you know, from the college side, I couldn't agree with you more with that advice for students. You know, that question between in a, in a pre-COVID year, in a COVID year, in a post-COVID circumstance, if your job is to be part of the family caretaking role or if, you're, if you, you have a job for whatever reason, there's so much value in seeing that in your, your work because, you know, again, that tells us about your character. Perhaps it's work that you're doing already in the field of interest that you want to pursue in college or in your future. So there's value in that in so many character building building activities that then tell us something more about you. So it's, it's not just necessarily extracurricular this and sports that, and I'm gonna be a Girl Scout and a Boy Scout, but that's another level of, of that story that you're telling us and that application that you're putting in to help us decide, you know, that next step for you. And, and oh just in addition to that for, you know, students who are stressed about not being able to test and trying to find extracurriculars in this virtual setting. I actually think that COVID has helped us um, for um, extracurriculars in a sense where there's actually a lot more virtual opportunities. And since things are virtual, you're able to do a lot of new different things. You're able to do multiple things at once if that's what you want to do. and. Um, there's so many more organizations and places coming out with, you know, virtual boot camps, virtual summer camps, um, fellowships, research that you can do online. And a lot of those applications are also free as well. And so I definitely would tell students that if that's what you're concerned about. That's been something that's been pivotal for us that we're seeing at college now. We normally offer test prep through our program called IMPACT. Uh, we normally offer it in person, and this year we pivoted to virtual, and we were able to serve students all across greater Cleveland. Over 300 students have signed up for our free virtual test prep, um, been able to get paid at the end, been able to build community either synchronously or asynchronously throughout. Um, and I think that there are some students uh, who would be able to participate in that who normally might have scheduling concerns. Um, we're also still open for registration for the spring. So if there's any current students who are looking at test prep opportunities, I would definitely encourage them to head over to collegenowgc.org slash impact to check that out. All right. And the next question I have is directed towards either Ms. Bischoff or Ms. Wall. So in considering that lots of students have aspirations to go to places like graduate school, which require tests like the MCAT, is that the sole reason why colleges in the first place want to see these standardized tests? Or is it sort of a change in mood now uh, in the light of recent events? Um, so uh, Kelly will certainly fill in from this. I think the, the 
thing with standardized testing is it, it's one of these situations that it's it's something that's that's been around for such a long time that I think people don't quite know what to do if it's not there. Mm -hmm. um, what and what I often hear from colleges is the the faculty that is most resistant to getting rid of testing are in the STEM fields, um, the business fields where there's more of a quantitative baseline that they're assuming in terms of knowledge and and being able to be successful in those programs. Um, I don't think colleges specifically see the testing as a way to get kids into graduate school. Um, I do think one of the arguments that somebody might make to keep testing as a part of the process for high school students is to prepare them for the future of testing going forward. So, I mean, if we got rid of the MCAT, what would the world look like? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that people are asking that question. Um, I know this year the, um, the GMAT was optional at some um, MBA programs, and it'll be interesting to see what those enrollments look like. Um, but there is a whole world of standardized testing, even beyond that. Banks have licensure programs, architectural programs have licenses and testing. I think the idea here is really about, and I'm gonna turn this just a second before I toss it to Kelly, is the concept of being able to do something in a time-based manner. And test standardized testing provides students with an opportunity to show knowledge in that time and space. And I think college curriculums often give kids tests in time-based manners. So that's another reason why maybe the testing continues. Um, but Kelly, maybe you can tell me more. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's a part of this that has to do with setting a student up for their future. You're going to, the, the time-based component, how do you pace yourself? How do you answer these questions? The, the breakdowns that these tests have. Also that preparation for all of the other test types we're talking about in, in your curriculum, in your future um, career goals. I will share though, that I think there's the other component that comes from this and put weight on what Ms. Bischoff said, which is the universities and institutions looking at the quality or the quantitative success of a student. And sometimes the ability to measure that with regard to the STEM fields and the business fields. And I do think there's a reluctancy there and that will in a way drive the future of the conversation. Um, you know, again, when you're looking at those programs and you're looking at student success, there are different ways to measure that so that they can act academically come in prepared. And certainly the argument has been made that the, the test will do that. Overall though, I, I, I think the, there, I don't foresee these going away. I think it opens the door to the conversation of how do we use them? How do we better use them? How do we better look at the entire application in other ways? Um, and then open that door to the financial conversation that we've referred to a few times. And another important question, I guess, is with colleges like the UC system actually crafting sort of new tests to replace mm -hmm. the SAT and the ACT, are like college counselors and sort of admissions officers seeing this as like a new way to test students or is it sort of a way to test them in different ways that are not necessarily solely based on academics? I, I don't know if the testing is is not necessarily based on academics. Um, and I think a little bit about the, the system in the UK because um, they give you a content-based exam. If you want to study physics, you're mm -hmm. going to have an exam that is based on physics. So they're going to they're going to assess you based on your your academic interest. Um, Canadian schools look at testing very much on a subject basis. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what the UC schools are going to end up doing because if they're going to develop another set of testing, what they're probably trying to do is they're still trying to figure out, is the student going to be successful here? And then ultimately, what every college really, really cares about is retention and graduation. Mm -hmm. They want to admit students that are going to be successful, that will be able to succeed and will graduate. Those are the important elements of, of, the, of the college side. So there are factors like resilience and decision-making and, and being able to, to manage multiple pieces of information and analyze them at the same time. There's certainly skill sets they can test, but I'd be curious if they were more academically content-based versus more cognitively and, and based on skill sets. And there's a question for Kennedy. Uh, how exactly do you and your peers view standardized testing in the future of it? Uh, do students sometimes like lose attention spans since they're often like three to four hours of just sitting in one place 
looking at like a couple of sheets of paper? Um, to answer the first question of just viewing the tests in general, um, students don't like a lot of the testing institutions, especially things like College Board. It's definitely a lot of memes is just about how awful College Board is, especially with like the stress of AP tests, um, SAT, things of that nature. Um, and so I definitely think that at least me and my peers are kind of test diverse, but we're willing to do what we need to do in order to get to the places that we want to go. So I definitely think that's that, and we'd definitely be happy if they cancel the tests. I really wanted them to still cancel AP tests, and I'm kind of very upset that it's normal and full length. So, <laughs> but I think in particular, just with taking the test, um, as someone who gets a lot of testing anxiety, it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm still not a fan because I don't think that it, it really is a true um, way to show how you are as a student. Like I do very well in class, but then once I get into time situations, especially like if I know that things are like literally where I'm going to go to college, just banking on this, it gets a lot harder to try to stay focused when you feel yourself like not knowing something or your time is running out. Like there's more of like a panic sensation than there would be typically at like school when you're taking a test. And so um, that in addition to wearing a mask and it's the summer so like some of my tests were like really really hot or some of them were really really cold because of like air conditioning things of that nature just did definitely make it hard to focus and to miss Salinger, uh do your students feel like they have more control over their college processes or college processes without these standardized tests i would say that students are proudest of the components of their college applications that are not the tests. I, I, regardless of whether the student feels like they've performed well on the test, um, I have never had a student who felt that the best part of their application was their test score. Um, I don't, can't really speak to whether that makes them feel like they had more control this time, but I think there's, there's comfort and emphasis on other places, especially given that most of my students are disproportionately not represented by their test score. All right, and as a final question before we move towards our mid-form segue, uh, do you guys feel like the College Board has too much of a monopoly over standardized testing? And do you think getting rid of like the SAT subject test, for example, uh, reduces the ability for students to show their proficiency in a certain subject? Well, I think the reason College Board got rid of the subject tests was not because they were stressing kids out, but it was because they weren't making money. I mean, <laughs> lots of schools were saying in general they were they were not using them anymore. Um, so I think from that standpoint, you know, they're going to rely more more on the AP testing results to demonstrate um, to demonstrate academic uh, strengths in certain subject fields. Um, Interestingly, the College Board doesn't have the monopoly. I mean, they, they're one big organization, but ACT is also really prevalent in a lot of states. So California is a big ACT state. So is so are most of the states in the Midwest. Um, and both of them, they, if the, these testing organizations have very different philosophies and different ways to manage the content on the test. I will say having a couple centralized uh, test offerings helps in terms of making sure we can get our students fee waivers if they qualify. Um, something that like, the, made the gears in my mind immediately start churning about the UC system is if every, to, to extend it beyond where it's going to go, if every college had their own standardized test system, it would be, it would, it would impact equity in ways that I think are hard to predict, but certainly negative. Right. Right, and I think that that is a great segue into our mid-form speaker, Barbara. Good. My name is Barbara Yang, and I'm a senior at Laurel School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Today's Youth Forum Council features a discussion about the future of admissions testing and education and the effects it'll have on students for year to, years to come. Today's panelists are Ms. Renee Bischoff, Director of College Counseling at Hawkins School, Ms. Sienna Zeilinger, College and Career Access Advisor at College Now Greater Cleveland, and Ms. Kelly Ball, Director of Recruitment and Strategic Initiatives, Enrollment Management at Case Western Reserve University, as well as Kennedy Smith, member of the City Club Youth Forum Council. 
Our moderator is Praveen Kumar, a junior at Hawkins School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. If you have any questions for any of our panelists, text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at City Club Youth. We'll try to work them in. May we have the first question, please? All right, so our first question from the audience is, can either Ms. Seilinger or Ms. Bischoff sort of describe the programs that their schools and institutions provide to get students ready for these testing uh, for these testing availabilities and sort of for these colleges? Uh, sure. Um, so we test our sophomore students with the PSAT. So that's the first standardized test that we offer. Um, and when we receive the score, oh, and just, I guess, a preview for that is we make sure on the front end that if we have families that receive 75% um, or more financial aid from the school, they're never charged for the test. So we never even bill them. Um, and we do that because I think it's very critical for us to make sure that students who need resources, um, such as waivers, never really have to ask. Um, I think that could be complicated. So we start with the sophomore testing. We will review those test scores, identify some students that may need some extra support. Um, and then we have an arrangement with Revolution Prep, which is a national test prep company. And they have agreed to match our school's financial aid percentages in providing test prep for students. So students can sign up for a, a, a small group class um, and there are often Hawkins specific classes that they can take um, and those are typically in the junior year. Um, and what that does is if a student is on 90% aid, well, we often were able to give them a free test prep experience. The reason is I, I don't want there to be a student at our school who does not have access to test prep. Um, it shouldn't be for just kids who can afford to pay. Um, we also have a vetted test prep tutor list where we meet with all the tutors in the local area and we advertise options like Khan Academy and other free online options to make sure that each student has an option that fits them. But ultimately we wanna make sure that it's an open and accessible opportunity for students. And then as um, Sienna suggested earlier, we identify students who should be receiving waivers and give those waivers prior to the student asking us for a waiver. Um, we set up a test prep schedule and plan for kids. So I think we've been doing this for about five or six years and it's really improved access to testing and test prep across the board. And for us, College Now is a large nonprofit that kind of approaches the post-secondary attainment question in various ways, whether through scholarship attainment, support of adults, um, et cetera. But I think the two ways that we most effectively get students ready for testing and the college process are through the advisors who are baked into CMSD high schools and also surrounding suburban, regional, and parochial high schools. Um, we also have advisors at middle schools. So to get that college culture started early, um, I think is really crucial. And so we, as advisors, work with our students individually and in classroom workshops to make sure that it's not just testing as a rite of passage, but testing as, you know, one step on the way. And there's other ways to, to showcase yourself to these colleges and to set your goals accordingly. Um, I think that the other way that we support students is through what we do out of school. And so that I already kind of mentioned the impact program earlier, um, but I can't emphasize enough. They are absolutely transformative when it comes to free test prep in that in addition to offering a trained advisor who can walk through testing strategy and content. It also provides students in typical times with ways to have access to college visits, uh, career spokesmen to come in and kind of guide them through some of that decision-making. So essentially to wrap that up, I think we like to think about testing as part of the process and kind of bake it into thinking about college in general and setting those goals. And I would also just like to add one more resource. They're called Fiveable, like five able. And I actually work for them and one of their interns. And um, it's test prep, but social. So they have um, teachers who teach AP subjects that um, have classes that you can actually access for free on Fiveable. They have cram sessions for AP tests and standardized tests. Um, they have um, resources for every AP test 
available. And they're just a really cool program. They have a lot to offer that I can't necessarily just explain very briefly. But I think that all students should be using Fiveable at least before you go to some of like College Now, which is really great, or um, other um, test prep companies. Fiveable is a really great resource. All right. And I think our next question, Ms. Ball is actually best suited to answer it. So how exactly of, uh, how exactly big of a factor is mental health of students uh, when uh, admissions officers are evaluating their application? And how exactly does this factor weigh against like other important factors? Sure. I think it's fair to say that the mental health conversation has be become more and more important over the last few years. I think we're starting to see students who are, um, for lack of a better word, more open with sharing themselves in the application process, whether that's through the essay or through the folks that they've chosen to be recommend um, references. Um, I've seen over the years in my career um, essays that are much more honest and um, in that they're, they're telling us a lot more about what they're struggling with or what they're experiencing or using the other portions of the Common App or the Coalition App to tell that story. So I think it's a growing conversation, quite frankly, about how we, in our role in college admission, take that into account and then bring that conversation not only beyond the admission, the, the desk that crosses for the application, but within the campus community. Because as students begin to talk more about it um, and it becomes a bigger part of our conversation, it, it means that we're bringing in students who are really mental health aware and so how, how do we as a community then prepare for those students as they come to the university? And do we have the resources for them to be not only academically successful, but successful in their mental health awareness and preparation? So what I mean to say is that I think it's a growing conversation and that it is something that we talk about in the admission cycle, but within the application, how does it weigh in terms of a factor? We can't, make a decision based on somebody saying that they have X, Y, or Z. Um, and certain, some institutions have different policies around that. I've worked at one institution that, you know, for example, had a stronger policy and another that had none. Um, so I think it varies by the institution. So for students who are here listening, you know, that's a valid question to ask as you're going through the application process and you're preparing to write your essay and tell your story um, and what that weight is. Overall, I will go back to something I shared at the beginning is that when we're looking at a student, we're really looking at the full the full package. What are you telling us in all of those components in things that you've already completed, the test, if, if we're test optional or not, um, the letters of recommendation, your resume and your activities, all of that comes together in a full package. And I think there's, again, it depends on the institution and the decision that they've made to put that mental health awareness and that weight in that conversation. But overall, I wouldn't say that that's uh, a big factor in the conversation as much as everything else that we've talked about today, but I wouldn't discount it as a factor either. And I think Kennedy is best suited to answer our next question from the audience, which is, uh, what changes to testing would you like to see happen uh, to make testing better opportunity and a better experience for students so that it's not all about stress and pressure on one specific sitting? I would say something like just modifying the two big tests that we have. I definitely think that it could be shorter. I think that a model of doing tests for things that you're interested in going into would be better to play to people's strengths. Like you have an ACT, but like say if you're a STEM major, it's like you still have some humanities, but it's more focused towards STEM things. If you're a humanities person, um, you do something that's focused on humanities. I think it would be nice to have a test as well that focuses more on just like decision-making and logic. I think that at an academic institution, trying to understand just more about how a person thinks rather than how well they can memorize a test is more helpful. So I think it would be cool to have something that's more um, individualized where it's like giving people scenarios and walking through like how people address them or things of that nature. So those are just some ideas I have off the top of my head. Um, I, I'd love to see testing change in, in two critical ways. One is I'd love to see them being offered every single month online so that students can decide when they're ready to take the test. 
Um, and the online testing, I think, has to come. I mean, the this there the challenge of of going into a high school, sitting down. I mean, that heightens the stress. I mean, that you have to get there really early. You have to wait. I mean, there's, you know, you talk about like the pre-game stuff that you have to be thinking about is super complicated. If you knew you could get up and log into your computer and take it, I think this, the anxiety would go down. Um, I think having more access to testing on a more regular basis, again, will allow students to organize their time. Um, and that would allow students to get their results back faster. Um, there are so many things about this that I literally don't understand. Like the kids take the tests and it takes six weeks to get the scores. I can get a book from Amazon in 30 seconds. Um, so that, that doesn't make sense to the kids at all. Um, I think the other piece of this is, is the testing organizations rely on high schools and other community organizations to serve as very low wage workers for mm -hmm. the testing organizations. And the testing companies should really be figuring out ways to manage this and to provide the equity across rural communities, um, underserved communities, um, and communities where there are challenges to reach kids with the internet. That's still an issue and that's why we don't have it this way yet, but I think it's coming. And I think the kids who are really the consumers of this testing, they change every year, which is why this process doesn't move as quickly because your main client base is constantly rolling over. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it would be so much more humane for the kids if, if those two things were options. I also think that something that we don't talk about enough outside of this sphere is that, you know, the tests are a tool and any tool encodes the biases of those who build it. And I think that something that folks might not know is the ways that the standardized test doesn't work for every community in the same way. So to give just a quick and vivid example, I'm thinking of my English language learner students who are looking forward to showing their skills on the math section only to be confronted by primarily word problems, which end up testing them for reading comprehension, but they're on the math section. So I'd like to see in terms of a change to testing, the folks who are designing it should be reflecting the populations that are taking it as accurately as we can. And Ms. Bischoff, the next question from the audience is directed towards you. So you actually mentioned the European model of testing earlier in the forum. And do you, could you expand on that? And do you believe it could actually be the solution to the American method of testing? Um, it, that's a, it, it's an interesting idea. Um, I think it's not likely to be a total focus in American education because the American system continues to rely on students coming into college who are mostly undecided. And a number of them switch majors throughout the process because for the American students, or the American system of education, college is kind of a, a chance to learn what you want to do and grow up while you're going through school. The European system, you apply for a course. So you will major in, I had a student who applied to Oxford a number of years ago and she wanted to research sharks. It's literally the only thing she wanted to do. And so she didn't have to take other things. She just wanted to focus on that. We don't have a system in the United States that gears students up to making their career path choice in middle school. So while I think content-based exams will continue to exist in the United States, I don't think they will be as widespread as they are in Europe. Um, I think they're interesting and I think kids actually like content-based exams because you can show what you know in that area. Um, but that's not how the system is set up here. And Ms. Ball, as a sort of follow-up to that, uh, in viewing these tests and seeing uh, students what majors or what career pathways they want to follow, uh, do, you, do admissions officers hold any weight to specific sections of these tests? Uh, or is it just viewing the test as like one big uh, thing in an application? So in the nature of our business, sometimes the response to the question is it depends. And the reason why I say it depends is because something I referenced in the last response I said was, uh, I always advise a student to check with their counselor or with the institution that they're going to apply for because the answer might vary. Um, sometimes I've seen weight given particularly, let's say if you're a student testing, I'm sorry, if you're a student whose career ambition um, is in the STEM field and you're applying to an institution that does admit you directly into a major as opposed to an open institution like Case Western Reserve where we don't admit you necessarily to a major, there might be more weight provided to your math testing on, on any of the 
standardized test scores or your AP test scores, for example. So I would say, again, it depends on the institution, how they admit a student, then how they're going to weigh the different components of the standardized test. I, I've seen it before where it's been equal, but very often I think that there's weight depending on the path that you're gonna choose. And again, if the institution is directly admitting you to either the College of Engineering, for example, or specifically chemical engineering, um, or the College of Arts and Sciences and you're going into theater versus the College of Arts and Sciences and you're going into psychology. So again, I think it really circles back to any student working with their resources their community-based organizations, their counselors, and doing research to confirm that, which makes this whole process that much harder. I think we've been spending a lot of time talking about the complications with tests, but us in higher education, there are 4,000 plus universities in the United States, and none of us do it the same way. And if we have something that's similar, there's something that's a little bit different between each of us. Um, so that's why I always advise that there's no standard answer and it really helps for students to dig in a little bit and go deeper. But I hope that I've provided that there could be one or both. And oh, I think part of the issue with that, um, what you're saying, Ms. Ball, about how some colleges weigh different parts of the tests more than others, is that, act, that actually mm -hmm. brings more anxiety to the test. Right. Like just for my example, I'm a STEM student and you know I'm interested in computer science, but the math section of the ACT isn't my strong point. And so like there are some schools that literally tell you on their website, this is mm -hmm. the ACT math score that students get. And if you have this score, you have a 0% chance. Like, this is literally what they said on their website. And mm -hmm. that's like very stressful because then I'm already going into the test saying like, okay, I can only miss a certain number of questions for me to even have a chance at this place. And I think that, you know, revisiting the question of, okay, how would we change standardized tests? I think that it should be reported as a holistic grade, similar to how colleges say they address their students, those test scores, scores should be reported holistically rather than just individual section scores. So Kennedy, one of the things that you'll be glad to hear is this morning, um, I read that the FISC guide, which is one of the more popular college guides, is not going to publish test scores as a part of the college profile next year. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's terrific um, and will allow students to learn about colleges without thinking about the test scores. But I also worry because not every school next year is gonna continue their test optional policy and it adds another layer to the confusing analysis of information for each college. So um, we, we encourage our kids to make spreadsheets with lots of information on it. I think this is yet another challenging column in the spreadsheet. Um, so there are these movements that I think are for the good of kids. Mm -hmm. um, but as I often say, when I talk to college folks on the phone, when's the last time you met a 17 year old or a 16 year old who's stressing out about this stuff? Because again, this customer base here is like, it, it continues to make their process complex. Mm -hmm. um, so one step forward, I guess. Well, and I'll jump into that too, because. Kennedy, you pointed out that the university you were looking at gave a specific score and said that, you know, you need that score for computer science. Some universities do the range, the mid 50%. And that's a whole other question because then I've, I've met families who've said, well, what if I am a stellar student in the top 5% of my class, but my whatever score in that range is actually below that. I mean, I think that's a whole other complication too. And again, just like I said before, that's a good conversation to have again with your advising folks, counselors, organizations that you're working with and the school that you're looking to apply to. What does that really mean? So another question that we have from the audience is, when exactly will students get more information about how testing will change for the 2022 admissions cycle? And are people predicting whether it will remain test optional for the majority of schools? I think there are some schools that have already announced their test optional. So if, for example, Case Western Reserve University, have we've made the commitment through the entering class of 2023. Um, so we've made that step. I've seen some other universities at least go into 2022. Um, and I think it'll be similar to this year where people are making or universities are making decisions as they go. And some are confronted with challenges that aren't just at the administration level, but there are boards beyond, you know, 
people in the office space that are making that decision and that can hold up that process as well, or faculties. And Ms. Zeilinger, as sort of follow-up to that, do the College Board and ACT companies actually provide uh, enough resources for underrepresented, underrepresented students? That's an excellent question. I'm of the mind that any resource available for students can always be doing more. So with that perspective as sort of a grain of salt there, um, I think they've done a lot of work in recent years. When I started this work, you know, Khan Academy wasn't tied into the SAT. And so they were mostly advertising test prep resources that cost money. Um, now they've done a lot to shift that. So credit where credit is due, of course. Um, but I think that, you know, from where I sit in working with students and too in, in collaborating with counselors and talking with them about how they can best reach students, I think we have to have an eye in all of this to the student who doesn't have a lot of time and might not have a lot of confidence in their testing abilities or testing experience. And I think we have to work with that as the common denominator. I don't always see that the way that we talk about tests reflects that but I do think it's getting better than it used to be. And I can just add a little bit as a low income student, I definitely think that the organizations don't like themselves don't provide enough resources for students in general. Like a lot of them are kind of like outside companies or things you have to buy from the two main testing organizations to get like test question banks and things of that nature. And um, a lot of times when you're buying test prep books, they have like, big books for just like specific questions in the tests and that just adds more to the costs. And so like, I know, like I was in a lot of low income student communities who are all like preparing for the tests and like people have been like uploading PDFs of books and like sharing things to test question banks, like anything that we can do to get as much prep as possible. So I definitely think we need more just accessible um, resources that are also quality. So Ms. Bischoff, in talking to lots of college admissions officers, uh, do they still think that in the upcoming admissions cycle that standardized tests such as the SAT or ACT or AP test will still play like a very important role in college admissions? Um, that's a great question, Praveen. And I think it depends on how the college words their policies. So I was on a, a, I had a conversation earlier this week with a college person who said, it has to be so frustrating for kids because test optional, test aware, test blind, um, there's so many different ways to describe the policies. And I think the colleges are really struggling to figure out what is gonna work for their communities. Um, and again, I go back to, to the faculty because sometimes faculty are the ones who make the decision about whether the school gets to be test optional or not. I think if you asked every admission officer, they'd be like, yeah, let's do this. Um, but I do think the college faculties have that as, as a interesting, they have to make change on their own faculty before they can make a decision about this. Um, I think the schools that are piloting their programs for a number of years are going to have interesting research. Um, and I think places like Bowdoin, which have been, has been test optional since the 70s, has a lot of data on how well their kids do who apply test optional. Um, I do think the big challenge for our students going forward is really going to be understanding that the testing is still a part of the process. I will tell our kids, please prepare for and take these tests because I want you to have every possible thing in your, in your portfolio. Once you have it all, let's make decisions about where it might be useful, where it might not be useful. At least now I feel like kids have a little bit more of a choice. And it may seem like it's out of control, but I try to really emphasize that this is in control for our students and that having a lower test score and being an exceptional student, if the college is test optional, there are still pathways where that student might not have ever been able to apply there before. So I'm trying to see this as a positive, but wading through the intricacies, I think for all of us um, on both sides of the desk is challenging, but I think about it as like, we're trying to do the best we can for the kids. So Ms. Ball, do you expect the composition of the rising class of college freshmen to be different from previous classes because so many students simply could not access these tests? I do. I think there's going to be a part of that that will be hard to measure, right? We can't, um, we won't have the data on everyone's test scores. So sometimes in the past, and maybe Bowdoin is an example of this, where they 
they would ask students to provide the test scores after admission when they started their classes so that they could do a data analysis. That's a little difficult this year. Not everybody even had the opportunity to take the tests. Um, so it'll, there'll be parts of it that'll be hard to measure, but I do think that college admission um, staff are working very hard to look at applications in different ways and in some ways similar to what they've done before and challenge themselves to take what they know about the university, what they know about student success over, over time at an institution, and then how does that feed back into how we look at that full application holistically, again, to what was mentioned earlier, that a student will be successful at the institution, that they can succeed, retain over time and graduate. Because the other thing is we certainly don't want students to drop out. There are ramifications for the student for that, and that's financial. Um, so that's another part of that consideration. But I do think the student group will look a little different. Um, and I do think there are, this again puts the weight on the university admission staff to work really collaboratively with the rest of the campus community on what that student group looks like, because they might not be as strong in the maths and sciences as we previously have had, because we don't have that test score to make that, that data point knowledge connection from what we've had in the years past. So if their math preparation shows on the, on the high school record that it's really strong, we just wanna make sure that they're ready to go um, once they get into the classwork here. That's a, just an example. But overall though, I do think universities are looking to, again, who, who they are as a university, the students that they're bringing in and make those really well-informed decisions, which is why it's taking us a little bit longer to do it this year. I think what's exciting to that or what's exciting about that to me as an advisor is that I think there's so much that COVID has uh, thrown in front of our students as obstacles mm -hmm. that I, I was and have been worried that the composition of the rising class will change, but not because of the test scores, because students don't have access to the same kinds of daily supports mm -hmm. that they have. Uh, just being in a school every day, typically, and so we're seeing FAFSA numbers are down and you know that's concerning mm -hmm. to me in looking at the composition of, of who the freshmen will be. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that Ms. Ball, you've spoken to the ways that admissions officers are able to look at students kind of with permission to almost be more holistic this year. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps the test optional piece is one way to mitigate the other ways that COVID might've impacted us. And just a brief connection. I've already like committed to a college and I've, been talking to you know different people in my class and I definitely think the difference in test scores has changed a little bit who would necessarily be in our class mm -hmm. like for example like I'm committed to a school where you know typically takes like really really good test scores and I know people who submitted their applications with like perfect scores whereas I know like I had decent test scores but I would have still been a little nervous to like submit mine to the college so I went optional and there's that um, also feeling of like, okay, like intimidation or even imposter syndrome, like would I have been here if mm -hmm. things weren't test optional? I think that there's a lot of people who are also thinking that, and I think that really could change the way our classes are made up this year. Mm -hmm. Congratulations to you, by the way. Yeah, thank you. And Ken, you brought up a really good point, the imposter syndrome. I think that's a good, that's a good thing for us to take back as, as universities to think about another part of that mental health conversation. Students mm -hmm. are gonna come in thinking one thing and we wanna make sure, again, that's a big part of your success. It's not just the classes you take and how well you do in those classes. Your involvement within the community is a big part of that and that mental health component. So another factor to consider as a part of the different groups that comes in this year, next year, and maybe even three years down the line, because I think this is a far reaching impact. I, th I think the other piece of this, and Kennedy, you're such a great example of this, is I try to tell students that you're a person, you're not a number, mm -hmm. and nobody wants to be considered by just a number. And even if you have a great number, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get in. And so I, I guess I would, I would encourage students to think if they went test optional and were admitted, they saw you for who you are as a human being and what you can bring and what you can receive from that institution, not just because you got a great number and make their bottom line look better. So you deserve to get in where you get in and, and it's your job to take advantage of those opportunities. And of course, Kennedy, you will. But I think that's the opposite side of this is you don't have to be a number. And I just wanna add one last component to that is if university that you're applying to is test optional for the next year, it's really a good idea to have a 
to really think through if you're going to send those test scores or not. If you were able to take the test, don't just assume that your test might not be to your advantage. There are times where we know a student might have a test score that we do really want to see. Um, and then there are times we, we really wish we didn't see a score, right? So I think it's really an, um, don't make the decision to send or not send the test score alone. This is a really great opportunity to recognize you have a community of people who are there to support you. And that includes people like me who work at the college side. I've talked to many a counselor um, before about what an individual student should be advised to do. And I really advise individual students to think about that you don't have to make that decision about that number, about that test score by yourself. Because there are a lot of factors that go into it based on a lot of what we talked about today and other things. So really know that no one's in this process alone. All right. And I think that that is a great way to wrap up our forum and transition to our closing speaker, Elle. Good afternoon. My name is Elle Ramos. I'm a sophomore at Riverside High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Today's forum featured a discussion about the future of admissions testing and education. Joining us today were Ms. Renee Bischoff, Director of College Counseling at Hawkins School, Ms. Sienna Zielinger, College and Career Access Advisor at College Now Greater Cleveland, Ms. Kelly Ball, Director of Recruitment and Strategic Initiatives and Enrollment, and Enrollment Management at Case Western Reserve University, as well as Kennedy Smith, a member of the City Club Youth Forum Council. Our moderator is Praveen Kumar, a junior at Hawkins School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. City Club Youth Forums are sponsored by AT&T with additional support from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation, the Doris C. Michael Ski Trust, and the William M. Weiss Foundation. We are grateful for their support. All City Club's virtual forums are presented for free every week thanks to the generous support from Bank of America, KeyBank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting City Club's mission by making a contribution online or becoming a member at cityclub.org. We will be back in May for the final youth forum of the year. Thank you for joining, joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.